for having me and um, beautiful place. We never really spent much time or any time in North Carolina and we are uh, thankful for the, the beauty of your state. It's more beautiful than our state in a number of ways and I think you're uh, much uh, more friendly than most people we meet in California. So it's, uh, it's good to be with you today and um, I figure what's good for my congregation in, in Ripon will hopefully be good for you. And we've been going through the book of Revelation for uh, the last number of months. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to be reading the entire chapter. A part of me feels like I should move the pulpit this way, but I'll, I'll get used to this. So um, this is one of my uh, favorite chapters in all of Scripture and uh, really for three primary reasons. Uh, first of all, I think when you understand uh, Revelation 12, it, it makes the whole reading of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, come alive. It, it makes you see the Old Testament in a way that, that maybe you've never seen it before when you understand Revelation 12. Uh, secondly, I, I enjoy this passage and appreciate that pa this passage uh, because it reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. We shouldn't expect the Christian life to be easy. Uh, we shouldn't expect the ministry of the church to be easy. Uh, we are in a battle, and uh, thankfully God tells us that. And then third, the, the other reason I really love this passage is it gives us, if we are Christians, if we are believers in Christ, it gives all of us tremendous comfort. And my prayer for us this morning is that you would find the comfort of what John tells us here in Revelation 12. And, and really, that is one of the things I want to stress to you, especially at the end of the sermon, uh, the tremendous comfort that we have as God's people. And so let's read Revelation 12, uh, the entire chapter, beginning at verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, 
But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. What is the longest war in history? According to scholars, the longest war in history is known as the Reconquista. It took place um, in the Iberian Peninsula between 711 and 1492 AD. In other words, it's a war that lasted for 781 years. That's a really long war. I would suggest to you, though, that there is a war that started much earlier than that and a war that's gone on much longer than that. It's a war that's lasted for thousands and thousands of years, and it's a war that will never end in this life. Uh, this war, as most of you may have already guessed, started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, at that point, God said these words to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity or hatred or war between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel this as we know is the war between god and satan between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness between the church and the world and until jesus christ comes this war will continue on and it will never end in this life history tells us that that is true Many Christians have, have paid the ultimate price in this war by losing their life on account of their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, estimates are that over 70 million Christians have been martyred in the last 2,000 years. That's a stunning number when you think about it. 70 million Christians have lost their lives in the last 2,000 years. The Bible tells us and church history tells us that Satan hates Christ and he hates the followers of Christ. Satan hates the good news of Christ. Hate, Satan hates what we do this morning. He hates the proclamation of the gospel and he will do whatever he can to snuff the gospel out and to snuff the church of Jesus Christ out. Our chapter this morning is a reminder that this shouldn't surprise us. Our chapter this morning is a reminder that we are in a war and that we need to be prepared to fight that war in God's strength. And so I want to look at this passage this morning with you in three parts. The first thing we want to look at is the participants. You'll notice if you have your Bible open that there are two main participants in this passage. There is a woman and there is a dragon. First of all, it's important to remember something that we need to know about the book of Revelation, and that is that Revelation is filled with symbolic language. It's filled with imagery. Uh, it's, it's as such, it's not to be taken always literally. We, we see that here in both verse 1 and verse 3, John says that a sign appeared in heaven. Maybe you notice that word in verse 1 and verse 3. What is the purpose of a sign? The sign, the purpose of a sign is to 
to point you to something. And I want to give you an illustration that will help you understand what I'm saying. Um, let's say that, that you're on a road trip. Maybe you're driving across the state of North Carolina or maybe you're driving to another state. And um, as you're driving down the highway, as most of us tend to do, we start to get hungry. And you're driving, maybe you're by yourself, maybe with your family, but, but you're driving and you think to yourself, you know what, I need something to eat. I've been driving for a few hours, I'm hungry, I need something to eat, and, and what sounds really good right about now is a cheeseburger. And so, as you're driving down the highway, you're starting to look for signs. Now, when I use this illustration with my congregation in California, I used in and out as an illustration. You don't have in and out here, you're not as blessed as we are in that sense, but uh, you're going to look for something else. You're going to look maybe for McDonald's. And so you're driving down the highway and you're looking for McDonald's and finally you see a McDonald's sign. And you're happy because that means you get to eat. Now, the sign is not McDonald's itself. The, the sign or the golden arches points you to the restaurant. And, and the point that I want to make to you is that signs point to something. And that's the case here. This woman and this dragon point us to something else. First of all, there's the woman. Notice what verse 2 tells us about her. It tells us that she's clothed with the sun, she has the moon under her feet, and she's wearing a crown of 12 stars. So sun, moon, and stars. If you know your Old Testaments, you might think back and you might ask yourself, is there any place in the Old Testament that would help me understand what these sun and moon and stars are. Well, there is, and it's in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 37, you remember that Joseph has a couple of dreams. One of the dreams that he has, the second dream he has, he sees the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. Now, in that dream, the sun and the moon and the stars represent Joseph's family. Uh, his father, his mother, and his brothers. And, and Joseph's family in that dream essentially represented all of God's people, all of God's covenant people. And so this woman here in Revelation 12, who is clothed with the sun and the moon and the stars, represents the people of God. She represents the church. And you also notice verse 2 tells us that she's pregnant, not just that she's pregnant, but that she's in labor. We're going to talk about her pregnancy in a moment. But notice the second character, the dragon. He's described in a number of ways. He's a great red dragon. He has seven heads and ten horns. He has seven crowns on his head, and with his tail he sweeps a third of the stars from heaven and knocks them down to earth. In the Bible, red is the color of blood and war and, and destruction. Horns and crowns are a symbol of power. And so we're being told something very significant about this dragon, that this is a, a destructive, powerful, terrifying creature. And we don't have to really guess who this is because verse nine tells us this is the devil. And so when you read Revelation 12, you see that these are the two main participants in this passage. You have the church and you have Satan. And notice what we are told in the middle of verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now this is a pretty crazy scene. You've got a woman who's pregnant, she's in labor, she's just about to give birth, and, and standing right in front of her is this powerful red dragon so that when the child is born, he can devour that child. Now, how can anyone say the Bible is boring, right? You, you read stories like this, and, 
The Bible is anything but dull, anything but boring. Now we know who the woman is, we know who the dragon is, but who's the child? Verse 5 tells us this is a male child, that he is one who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is a reference to Psalm 2. Very simply, this is a reference to Jesus Christ. This is talking about the Messiah. And so you've got all this graphic imagery here in Revelation 12. You've got a woman who's in labor. She's just about to give birth. This great red dragon is waiting there to destroy her child. And it's, and it's here to tell us one very important truth, that Satan's chief aim was to prevent Jesus from coming into this world. And, and when you read the Old Testament, with this understanding, you can't miss it. That this is why I said to you at the beginning of the sermon, when you understand Revelation 12, it, it makes your reading of the Old Testament come alive. Destroy Israel, destroy the line of promise, so that the Messiah, so that Jesus, so that your Savior cannot come. And you can probably right now think of all kinds of illustrations of this in the Old Testament. Cain kills Abel. Israel is enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. Haman, you remember Haman in the book of Esther? Haman tries to exterminate all of the Jews. But, but there's one specific example that I want to bring to your attention this morning. And that is that in the 9th century BC, there was a woman by, woman by the name of Ataliah. Maybe you've heard that name before. You've come across that in your Bible reading. Ataliah was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, if you know anything about Ahab and Jezebel, you know that they weren't very good people. And, and their daughter wasn't much different. She was not a good person. Ataliah wanted um, absolute power. Um, she, she waited for her son, King Ahaziah, to die. And, and then what she decided to do is she was going to kill the entire family line so that there would be no one who would succeed Ahaziah. And then she would have power. She would have absolute power. Now, behind the scenes of that story, something else was going on. This isn't just a story about political power. Behind the scenes, Satan, the, the great red dragon, was working through Ataliah. Because you see, if, if Ataliah is successful, if, if Ataliah wipes out all of Ahaziah's family, not only will Ahaziah get all of the power that she wants, but she will also do Satan's bidding by wiping out the line of the Messiah. Because you see, um, Ahaziah was from the line of Judah. And if you know anything about the line of Judah, you know that that's the line from which Jesus, the Messiah, was to come. And so think about the big picture with Ataliah. No line of Judah, no Messiah, no Messiah, no Jesus, no Jesus, no salvation. And at first, you're reading that story, and at first it seems as if Ataliah has succeeded. It seems that she's done Satan's bidding, and she's accomplished the work, and at least she thinks she's wiped out the entire royal line of Ahaziah. But unbeknownst to her, there's a little boy, a little boy by the name of Joash, who has been hidden away so that he can't be killed. And, and her plan to gain power and Satan's plan to wipe out the line of the Messiah so that you could not be saved, Satan's plan is thwarted. And, and we see this all throughout the Old Testament. 
Over and over and over, Satan is trying to, to prevent the Messiah from coming into this world. He's trying to destroy the line of promise. But this plan never succeeds in the Old Testament. Now you get to the Gospels, and, and most of you know what happens there. The, the dragon still wants to kill this child. Jesus is born, and Jesus is going to, or, or Herod is going to, Satan is going to use a man by the name of Herod to try to accomplish his purposes. And you know what, what Herod did. Herod gives an order that all male children under the age of two are all put to death living in Bethlehem. And, and Herod thinks one of these little boys has to be Jesus. And if I, if I can kill all these little boys, I will succeed in getting rid of Jesus, who he seed, saw as a threat to his power. Now we know that there was more behind that again than political power. We know once again that this was the dragon's intention to destroy the Messiah, to kill the Messiah, so that he could not accomplish what he came to do, which was namely to accomplish our redemption. Little does Herod know, though, that when he performs this massacre, Jesus is safe in Egypt. But then we fast forward, the unthinkable happens. Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross. And on that Roman cross, he dies. And, and finally, after all of those years, starting in the book of Genesis, after all of those years, finally it looks like the dragon has succeeded. Now, now imagine if you're part of the church at that time. Imagine you're part of God's covenant people at that time. Imagine you've grown up and you've heard all of these stories from the Old Testament about how the, the line of promise was constantly in jeopardy. But every time, God kept his promise alive. Every time, God kept his people alive. Imagine you're living at that time, and, and finally the Messiah has come. The one the church has been waiting for, for all of these years, has come. He's come to save his people, but, but now he's dead. He's been killed. Imagine how discouraged you would be. Imagine how you would think to yourself, um, I thought he was the one. I thought he was the one who had come to, to save me from my sins, to redeem me, but, but now he's dead, and it looks like the dragon has won. It looks like the dragon has done what he had tried to do all throughout the Old Testament. There were a lot of failures along the way, but finally he got the job done. That child is now dead. His body is in the grave, and it appears that God's promise has failed. Now, there's a second part to our passage, and that is the victory. Was the death of Jesus the end of the story? Of course not. Notice the middle of verse 5. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Three days after what appeared to be the final and ultimate defeat of God's plan and God's purpose, three days after what appeared to be the dragon's greatest victory, we know what happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. That's what's being referred to here when it says that this child was caught up to God. Jesus is now in heaven. Jesus is, is now at the right hand of the Father. He's not dead. He's not in the grave. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. We don't want to miss the importance of that. Sitting at someone's right hand is symbolic of having power. 
and authority. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules and He reigns as the one who accomplished your redemption. He accomplished your salvation. This is good news for us this morning. This is not just your average garden variety news. This is the best news that we can hear. Because you see, if we are, if we are believers in Christ, we, we don't read Revelation 12 as some disinterested third party. We, we don't read Revelation 12 and, and just say to ourselves, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty interesting story. It's pretty amazing, in fact, when you think about how, how God preserved Israel all throughout the Old Testament, how He preserved Jesus in His earthly ministry. It doesn't really involve me, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. No, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, this is great news for you this morning because this involves you. This involves you. God kept His oldest promise. And all through the years, and all through the battle, and all through the attempts of the dragon, He preserved His people, He preserved the line of promise, so that you would be saved from your sins. So that you would be given eternal life. And despite the devil's best efforts, despite his constant attempts to destroy the line of promise, despite the constant efforts to, to prevent Jesus from doing what God sent him to do, God's purpose could not be defeated. It never will be defeated in this world, ever. And Jesus came, and in his life and death and resurrection, he did what you could not do for yourself. He did what we could not accomplish for ourselves. You see, what, what Jesus came to do was accomplish the work of your redemption. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's, that's talking about us, who we were by nature. We were spiritually dead. But then he says this, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He accomplished your forgiveness. He canceled your debt. He triumphed over Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's good news. Jesus took on flesh. Jesus took on a truly human nature so that he might redeem us. So that he might destroy the devil and set us free from death and condemnation. And doesn't that make Revelation 12 this, this wonderful reminder that God kept his promise to us? He kept his promise. You know, a lot of us use um, websites like Ancestry.com to learn more about our family history. 
to learn more about where our family comes from. There's a sense in which Revelation 12 is our spiritual family history. All throughout the Old Testament, the devil wanted to destroy your family. He wanted to destroy your spiritual ancestors. He wanted to wipe out your family so that Jesus couldn't save you. And there were times it looked really, really dark and really, really bleak. You think of Egypt, Ataliah, Haman, Herod, and, and many, many other examples. There are times it did not look good. But the devil didn't succeed. Jesus came, and, and even though he was nailed to a cross where he would die, he didn't stay in the grave. He didn't remain dead. He rose triumphantly for the forgiveness of your sins, Christian. To free you forever from judgment. To deal Satan a, a great death blow. Now this doesn't mean that the battle is over. This doesn't mean that I can say to you, you will have no more problems in this life. The spiritual war is over. The spiritual war continues on. And that's the third part of our passage this morning, which is the preservation, the preservation of the church, the preservation of God's people. The devil's been defeated, but, but he doesn't go down without a fight. He's like a chicken with his head cut off. He's still roaming about. Paul, or Peter says in, in 1 Peter 5, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Devour is the same word that's used here in Revelation 12. The, the dragon was, was waiting in front of the woman, just waiting to devour this child, but, but he couldn't do it. Jesus came and, and Jesus defeated the devil, but now Satan wants to devour the church. Now Satan wants to devour you, Christian. He wants to devour your children. He wants to devour your grandchildren. And he will use whatever means possible to try to accomplish his goal. And, and so we're still in the midst of the battle. We're still in a war. Notice what John writes in verse 6. He says, the, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. We're still in the wilderness. We're not in the promised land. North Carolina is beautiful, but it's not the promised land. We're still in the wilderness. This number, 1,260, is, is symbolic of the, the entire period between the ascension of Jesus and his second coming. And, and the point that's being made is what will, mark, what will mark the history of the church is this ongoing battle. It will continue to rage on this continuous war, whether it's through false teaching or persecution, Satan will continue to seek our destruction. Now you might say, well, that's pretty discouraging. I didn't come here today, Pastor, to be discouraged. I didn't come here to, to essentially hear this, this news that I'm going to face a battle all the days of my life. But yes, you are, and so am I. But I want you to notice two things in this chapter that should encourage you, two things that should give you strength for this battle. And, and these are two things that I really, I really want you to take with you today. It doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 70 years or a Christian for 70 days. These two things should encourage us this morning. 
And, and the first thing that you need to understand and that I need to understand is that even though the, the battle rages on, Satan has no case to make against us. If you look at verse 7, you'll notice that that, that war breaks out in heaven. You've got Michael and his angels on one side, Satan and his angels on the other side. Notice what it says in verse 8. It says he, Satan, was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Verse 9 then goes on and tells us that Satan and his angels are thrown down to the earth. This is a, this is a symbolic description of what Jesus did in his cross and resurrection. Jesus defeated the devil, he defeated his angels, but, but even though Satan's a defeated foe, he still accuses the people of God. The end of verse 10 says that he, he accuses them day and night before our God. Imagine, imagine having to put up with an earthly enemy who constantly accuses you. Everywhere you go, in your community, school, work, this person is always accusing you of something. We, we have a powerful spiritual enemy who is constantly accusing us. God, how could you save people like that? God, you, you know their sin. We, we had a time of confession this morning, and, and I think Calvin had mentioned at the end of that confession of sin that, that God knows. God knows our hearts. God knows our struggles. God knows our weaknesses. God knows our failures. He knows all the areas in, in which we've blown it. And so you can, you can picture saying, God, you, you know their sin. You know what those people in Fuquay Varina are really like? You, you know what those Christians are like? Do you really want people like that in your kingdom? You really think that, that those are the people you need? And when we think about our own lives and we think about our own struggles, we, if we get so turned in on ourselves, we say, what hope do we have? What hope do I have? You'll notice verse 11 tells us the hope we have. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, the, the hope that we have is Jesus. The, the hope we have is not ourselves. We, we sing the hymn, um, it's a fairly new hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. Maybe you've sung it before. And there's a line in that hymn that says, when, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. We look to him. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your own efforts. Don't look to your own performance. You look to Jesus. It's through him that, that we conquer the devil and we conquer his accusations. Martin Luther used to tell the story about uh, how he had a dream where he was being mocked by the devil. And if you know anything about Luther, Luther had a lot of dreams about the devil. And, and, and Luther, Luther, Luther knew, uh, perhaps more than we know even, that, that we are in a spiritual battle. And he tells this story about he has a dream where he's being mocked by Satan. And, and the devil comes to him in his dream and he says, Martin, just think of all the evil that you have done. Martin, just, just think of the, the countless sins that you have committed. Martin, do you really think that you are going to escape God's judgment? 
And I love, I love Luther's reply. He, he says to the devil, he says, you know what, Satan, it's all true. And, and there are many, many more sins that I have, I have committed that are known only to God. But Satan, here is what you have forgotten. Satan, here's what you don't get. Satan, don't forget this. Don't forget that at the end, at the very bottom of the list of all of my sins is written, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Luther was right. Luther was right. Christian, because of Jesus, the devil has no case against you. Because of Jesus, your sins have been washed away. Because of Jesus, the, the threat of judgment has been removed. Because of Jesus, you have been clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And because of Jesus, death and, and Satan hold no power over you. Yes, the battle goes on, but, but don't forget, Satan's got no case against you. Now, I urge you this morning, and, and I don't know all of you personally, but if you do not know Christ, if you have not come to him and, and confessed your sins to him and, and embraced him as your Savior, I encourage you today to do that. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Do not put that off. Our only hope is Christ. My hope, the hymn says, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Look to him. And Christian, know this morning that, that even though we are in a spiritual war, Satan has no case against you. The second thing from this passage, and that is this, to remember that Satan cannot defeat the church. If you look at verse 15, it says, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. And what that's telling us is that one of the, one of the weapons that Satan uses to defeat and destroy the church is false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching in our world today. There's a lot of false teaching that goes on in churches today. But verse 16 reminds us that God will preserve his people. It says, the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. All of the false ideologies that the world attempts to deceive the church with will have no ultimate effect. The true people of God are not fooled. And so as you, as you carry out the ministry the Lord has for you here, as, as you look forward to what the Lord will do in your midst, let me encourage you this morning to do so with great hope and great confidence, not in yourselves. We, we don't go in our own strength. But, but let me encourage you this morning to, to see from this passage the reminder that Satan cannot defeat and Satan cannot overcome the church. Satan cannot thwart God's purposes in this world. And so you can carry out the ministry of this church here with, with great hope and great confidence because of what God tells us. Jesus even says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Chapter 12 is a stark reminder that we are in a war. 
we are in a very real spiritual war that will continue. But we are encouraged here this morning that because of Jesus, Satan has no case against us. And we know that the church of Jesus Christ will continue to march on. And Satan and his demons and his human instruments will not overcome us. And so we press on in his strength. We press on with the sure knowledge that God kept his oldest promise and sent his son so that we might be delivered, we might be redeemed. And now what a glorious thing it is that we have we have the great calling to, to publish this good news in our communities, in our world, and trust that Jesus will build his church. It's an amazing thing that he will use us, right? Frail instruments that we are. But he will use us, he will use you to be a light in this dark world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the comfort and encouragement it gives to us. Lord, we read our Bibles and we see over and over the, the numerous attempts the devil made to destroy your line of promise. And yet, Father, no one and nothing can defeat your purposes. The Bible tells us that, that you are in heaven and you do all that you please. We thank you that you have kept your promise. We thank you that our Savior has come. We thank you that he has accomplished our salvation. And Father, we thank you as well that, that Satan has no case against us, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. And Lord, now we pray as we carry out our callings in life, whether we are younger or older or somewhere in between, wherever we're at in life, we pray, Lord, that you would use us as instruments of yours, instruments of compassion, instruments of grace, instruments of kindness, instruments that show through our lives and also speak through our words that there is hope, and that is the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the strength that we need to minister in this world. May we do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together number 92.